want to thank you for coming this afternoon. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing from Aileen Coleman. She's going to uh, share with us just in a, f- a few minutes. Uh, she has been in the country of Jordan for 50 years, working with Bedouins uh, through the, the medical means of treating tuberculosis. And she has a lot of stories to share with us. But I'd just like to open us in prayer as we start. Father, we thank you for the blessing it is and the privilege it is to serve in the name of the Lord Jesus, to be called by you, Father, to be your children and to be the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray that you'll bless Aileen as she shares with us this afternoon. Pray, Father, you open each of our hearts to uh, understand how privileged it is that we would be your children and that we may serve in the name of Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. Come on up here, Aileen. I guess you wouldn't be here if you didn't believe that God loves the Muslim people. And uh, I just want to say right up that my best friends in the world, other than my few missionary friends that I have and some a few here in the States, my best friends are Muslim. I remember about 25 years ago I had a big car wreck and and the doctor uh, went into the army camp near the hospital and said, the Raisa, that's what they call me, needs blood. And so I got eight units of good Bedouin blood in me. And probably that's why I'm so wild some of the time. <laughs> um, do you know the first command the Lord gave the disciples, I checked it so I know I'm, it's true. Uh, when he was sending them out, he said, heal them and tell them. I don't believe in doing medical work unless it's a means of presenting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of the countries uh, that I know of in the Middle East, there is medical care available, but I believe ours is the only hospital. It's just a sanatorium, very basic but adequate, where uh, Muslim people can hear the gospel. Our patients come to us uh, all with chronic diseases, many of them with tuberculosis, and it's a wonderful avenue for presenting the gospel because we have them in the hospital for months on end. And some of them, we have, we have a cooperation now with the National TB Program where we're treating the multi-drug-resistant tuberculosis. Some of those we have for more than a year till they're sputum negative and and we make sure that they're taking their medication. And so I believe that every adult patient in our hospital understands the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say again, over 99% of them are Muslim. Muslims come to us, they know where, what they call in Jordan, the preaching hospital. And uh, we never tried to hide the fact that we do preach. We do it overtly and with boldness and sometimes with a little lack of wisdom, but we do it anyway, uh, because we we know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves the Muslim people. And as far as I know, the main people that we love especially, we love all the Arabs, love all the Muslims, but the people we really love are Bedouin people who have for 1,300 years been followers of the Prophet Muhammad. Most of them, probably all of them, have never heard the gospel 
Recently I was in the clinic and a little teenage girl was an inpatient in the hospital and she came to me and she said, Ya Raisa, why do they call the hospital Anur? It's an Arabic word which means the light, the light of the world light. I said, we work for the Lord Jesus. And so we've named the hospital for him. She said, haven't seen him yet. Is he still here? <laughs> and so here is a girl in her teens who'd never heard the, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's, I believe in our part of the world, in, in the country of Jordan, um, I'll just say right now, we have a good king and we have relative peace. There's some problems, but thankfully when we see the countries round about us where every country, Israel, Palestine, Syria, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, we're a little island of tranquility in the horrible mess of which, humanly speaking, and as we look at it, they're all going down the drain. But we're thankful that because of our strong king and because you pray for us, we represent you for Jesus Christ in Jordan among people who've never heard the gospel, Muslim people for whom Christ died. When they come to the hospital, they've already heard we're the preaching hospital and uh, sort of some of them are prepared to argue. Some of them are rather fanatical when they come and some of them have been a little bit frustrated with Islam as they, they see the, the problems, especially in Syria. We don't know who's our enemy there anymore because we've got ISIS and Qaeda and Nusra and Assad. We don't know who's fighting whom, but we know that that beautiful country's going down the drain. And so we're very thankful to be able to accept patients who come, most of them Muslim, and to be able to use a hospital, medicine, nursing, technicians, administrative staff, for one reason, and that is to have the opportunity of telling our patients and some of our staff that Jesus Christ died for them. Most of them don't want to hear it, because they'll, they'll argue, they'll say, Mesalabu, they didn't crucify him. Well, they can shibbahu bidalik. It looked like crucifixion, uh, crucifixion. And some of them will come to argue, but as I think of what can I tell you about Evangelism with, uh, through, uh, through medicine with Muslim people. I believe our little hospital up in the north of Jordan near the Syrian border is the only place where most of our patients have the opportunity to hear the gospel. We're openly evangelistic. We have five meetings a week and um, patients, they like to please us. You know, they'll come to the meetings, not because they're specially interested, uh, some are, are come to argue, some of them come to please us, some of them are curious to know what we Christians believe. We never use the word Christian in Jordan because it's got a very political connotation and sadly Jordan Television now uh, runs these awful soap operas that you have in the West um, and so the patients see those and think everybody with blue eyes tall like I am, has to be a Christian. And they see the television and they, and they think that's our lifestyle. And so I think the most important, if some of you, I'd love to see all you young people in the Muslim world, not all in Mufraq, we couldn't handle you all. 
but some of you anyway, that the Lord would speak to, to realize that there are hungry, hungry Muslim people waiting that cannot be reached, some, the Bedouin people especially, even if they could get hold of um, some of these good radio programs, it's not in their dialect, and they won't listen. But we have learned to speak Arabic um, in the Bedouin dialect. I go to the, the capital city and they laugh at me. They say, where did you learn to speak that language? I said, it's the nearest thing to the Quran in the, in the, in the Arab world. And so that shuts them up for a while. <laughs> but um, ministry to Muslims has to be through relationship. Now, I love the, the freedom that many mission fields have where you can go and start a Bible study in somebody's tent, or most of our people live in tents, or you can go to a, a ready established church and say, okay, we're going to study tonight from whatever. We can't do that. We'd be out, we'd be out of the country on the first plane because preaching as we understand it is forbidden in the country of Jordan. It's an Islamic country. Uh, with um, we don't have Sharia law, but it's fanatically Muslim, and so we know that the government is against what we do. But we sort of got them over a barrel. They need our TB care, and uh, we all all our missionaries um, would agree with me when I say if we don't preach, we don't practice. And so as we have time with these patients. Most of them, after the first couple of weeks, don't feel too sick. They're bored. They like to please us. And so when we tell them at 5 o'clock tonight we'll have a meeting, one for the men and one for the women, and uh, they'll go to it when we can tell them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Most of them don't respond, maybe respond aggressively, but as we build up a relationship with them, then they'll see what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. We have a very gifted Jordanian missionary um, with us, and when anybody says to him, how do you reach them? He said, love on them. And that's what it is. If we don't love the Muslim, if we just hear about the terrorists that are there, and we hear about the immorality of some of the Muslim men, and the cruelty that is going on right now in the Middle East, you say, does God love them? Yes. Jesus Christ came to die for the Muslim people as much as he came to die for us. And I think sometimes I feel they're terrorists because they've never had the chance to hear the gospel. They don't know that the Prince of Peace himself came, died for them, and is offering them not just salvation, but peace of heart. As we build up relationships with them, I believe our medical work with Muslim people opens doors for wonderful relationships. About a year ago, we admitted a little baby. She was about seven months old. She did not have TB, but I'm a sucker when it comes to children. And I can't resist when I see a sick or an undernourished baby. And um, the mother came in with this sweet little girl. And um, she lived for just two days. Um, Jeremy might be here, I don't know if he's, uh, one of our doctors said he thinks she had a brain tumor. But I took her to my house and kept her with me. And um, when the mother came to take the body, I cried. 
But the mothers, and so we have what we, after a death, we have three days of mourning when you visit the family of the deceased. So I went out there and visited her, and I said to her husband, let her have another baby soon. She's quite young. The mother was quite young. And so now in the desert, there's a little Bedouin girl running around called Aileen. (laughs) I said, don't call her Aileen. The kids will laugh at her. I said, call her Alia, which is a good uh, Arab name. She said, no. She showed me the birth certificate, and there it is. Aileen bint Muhammad, <laughs> the daughter of Muhammad. And this is res- just because I saw the grief of this mother, and it tore me up. So we sat there crying together as I was giving her back the body of this little baby. But you know, since then, they said, you must come and visit us. They do not live in a tent. They live in a, a house way out in the desert, very simple house. So I went to visit her. And um, after Aileen was born, uh, and, and um, her, her father-in-law came in. And as I looked at him, I thought, oh, I was easy to cry with the mother of the baby who died. But he had a beard down to here. He had a little cap on his head. And his Bedouin dress was up to his knees, which means he's very fanatical. I thought, oh, what have I got myself into here? Because I thought he's going to denounce me. He's going to report me to the secret police, which often happens. And uh, so I was nervous when he came in. And, and he didn't even greet me. Because if a fanatical Muslim touches a, an infidel woman, they're contaminated for the rest of the day. So I didn't put my hand out. And he came down and sat down beside me and, uh, or near me. And... Uh, not the usually Arab people usually love long greetings, which we get into and go on and ask about five generations of their family and their, and their chickens and their goats and their health and, and their family. But he just sat down. He said, now I want you to tell me why you cried when my baby, my granddaughter died. I said, because I felt sorry for your daughter-in-law. And he said, why? And he used the word kafirah which means infidel. He said, you are a kafirah, and we are followers of Muhammad. I said, you know, in the sight of God, there's no kuffar, there are no infidels, and no followers of Muhammad. We're all the same. We're all sinners who need a savior. And so this man that was aggressively antisocial when I first came into the room, he said, why are you like this? And I said, well, you know, I was 21 years old before I became a follower of Jesus. And I was wild. And I'm thankful that when I was growing up 65 years ago, um, there weren't drugs. Because I'm sure if there had been, I'd have been right in the mess of taking drugs. But I did everything that was available. But God got hold of my life. And uh, with thanks to God, I can say he changed me. And, do you know, when I talk about Muslim evangelism, when I first came to the Middle East, I didn't really love the Muslims. I knew I was doing what God wanted me to do. But as you pray for the Muslims, God will change your ideas about them. I'm sure many of you here, because you do love the Muslims. But I want to just impress on us all that God 
sent Jesus to die for the Muslim people and it's a wonderful opportunity through any form of medicine be it OBGYN I did that for two years before I came to, to work in Jordan all I did was deliver babies and sleep and somebody said to me once well how did you sleep I said between contractions <laughs> not mine but the, the contractions of the mother that was delivering her baby we both slept between contractions uh, and usually got a healthy baby <laughs> and uh, but uh, the Ministry to Muslims, I believe in our part of, I can only speak for Jordan, but I believe it, it works throughout the Muslim world, wherever you might be. Muslim people respond to love. They'll reject you, they'll t and argue, they'll give the, all the usual arguments, Jesus wasn't crucified, and he wasn't the, the son of God, and they, they're all the same excuses or reasons they give uh, every time, but any of you that are considering ministry in, in a hospital with Muslim people, don't bother to argue with them. You'll just lose ground. Because they've got all their arguments memorized and nothing you say will convince them. But what we do convinces them when speech just goes right over their head or makes them mad. I've always had great difficulty. I speak uh, frequently among the lady patients because our meetings are segregated. And our missionary men um, speak to the men, and I, um, along with a couple of others, speak to the ladies. And I've always had great difficulty explaining the Trinity. We can't, can we? We accept it. But you, for me to say, well, tell me about the Trinity. But one day we had a lady from Yemen who was in the hospital with multidrug-resistant TB. She'd been with us for a long time and argued with me about the Trinity. You know, you worship three gods, the usual arguments that they bring. We don't often have snow in Jordan, but a couple of years ago we had a good snowstorm and she went out and brought in a bowl of snow. I said, what are you going to do with this? She put it in the refrigerator. Each of our rooms had a refrigerator for the patients. I said, what are you going to do that for? She said, I'm going to take it home to Yemen because we don't get... Don't get snow in Yemen. So the other patients were, are you crazy, are you crazy? But she believed that she could take this bowl of Yemen, this a bowl of snow back to Yemen. She came to me about an hour later and she said, Yeah, Raisa, it's just water. And I said to her, Nadia, her name was Nadia, I said, Nadia, snow is made of what? She said, Yes, water. She looked at this half dirty water. I said, when you cook, you boil your kettle to make tea. We drink gallons of tea in a day in the, in the Arab world. I said, what comes out of the, the spout? She said, steam. I said, what steam? She said, water. And then I didn't prompt her. She said, just like God. Just like God. I mean, a very poor um, explanation of the Trinity, but she got it. She said, ah. Oh, just like God. So I've used that many times. I take a little spirit stove into the meeting and boil some water. And I'll take some ice out of the refrigerator and boil some water. Um, take frozen water. And, have, and so there are ways, not of arguing, but of letting them see in their own culture what it means to be a follower of Jesus.
Don't try to make them Western. If you're going to the Muslim world, they've got a culture that goes back to the days of Muhammad, 7th century. And so the thing is we're not there to turn them into Westerners or to make them like us. We're there to represent Jesus Christ among them. Not too long ago I was in the clinic, in the hospital. We do have two other clinics in the south and north of the country, but I was seeing patients. I'm a nurse, but they call me doctora some of the time because I do see patients. I, I used to argue and I'd say, I'm not a doctora, I'm a nurse. And they'd say, nah, I'm your doctora. So it gave up fighting. But this lady came in and she was tired tattooed, which the Bedouins do, not too clean, and she kissed me here and here about ten times, as, as, as we Arabs do, and, um, and then she started to sing. We don't sing hymns, um, we sing scripture stories to their folk tunes, and she started to sing loudly, um, I can't think of an English, um, on the cross, the beloved one died. They put nails through his skin, uh, through, uh, through his hands. And, uh, and then the, the chorus comes. It's like a ballad. You repeat it time after time after time. And, I, and so some, one of the doctors came and he said, what's going on? I said, we're singing. And I said, do you, where, where did you learn that? She said, Raisa, I slept in your hospital 30 years ago. And she, I said, what else do you remember? She said, I'll tell you. She said, by then a couple of the other doctors and Nasri, our, our evangelist, came in and we all sang together. And I think the people waiting in the clinic probably thought we were crazy, but we enjoyed it and reminded this lady. And I said, Yebachita, that's her name. I said, what do you remember of the things you heard? She said, Raisa. I'm uneducated, I don't read, I don't write. But I'll tell you what I remember. She said, God made Adam, right? I said, right. And then Adam sinned and God should have cut his throat. Theology's a little bit off, but that's all right. <laughs> to, uh, to us in the Arab world, you know, death is by cutting your throat. She said, God could have, should have cut his throat, but instead... He slaughtered a, a sheep. And, uh, and then she, I said, Baden, and then what did you remember? She said, do you know I'm Adam's daughter? I said, yes, long time ago. And I was pulling out of her what she believed or what she understood. And she said, just like a, a Buna Adam, our father Adam, I get into Arabic and can't get out. <laughs> so, she said, just like our father Adam, I sinned, and she started to tell me the things she'd stolen and the, the things she'd done to tribal members who she was unhappy with. And uh, she said, and God should have killed me. And I said, and what happened? She said, Raisa, you know, God sent Jesus, the son of Mary, and you know she gave me a beautiful description of the, the, the incarnation and the birth of the Lord Jesus right from the Quran. Not all of the Quran is evil, most of it is, but every now and then there's some little gem in the middle of the Quran. And she told me how the Spirit of God came on Mary, how she had this son, 
And she said, you taught me that he was the son of the Spirit of God. And she said, his name is Jesus, isn't it? I said, yes. And I said, and Dardane, and then what happened? I keep pulling her testimony out. She said, she said, you know, Jesus went to the cross. We don't use cross so much. Went to the wood because they don't know what a cross is because we don't have wood in much in the desert. And she said, they put him on the wood and all his blood came out. Now, you theologians might think we're a little bit off, but it's the gospel, uh, Arab style. And, uh, and she said, do you know then? I said, and then what happened after he put his blood came out? She said, I asked him to take his blood and put it on my heart. And she said, then from then on, this was 20 years ago. She didn't know how long, but I could tell by how tired and old she looked. And she said, then from that day, Jesus and I have been like this. And she said, I am, and she used the word beneya, which means a little, little daughter. Bint is a, a little girl, but she used a very loving term that a father might use with his baby girl. She said, since that time, I've been the daughter of God Almighty. Medical missions in the Muslim world, they're so worthwhile. And it, it gives us a chance of building up relationships and not only seeing them healed. We're very thankful to the Lord that we have in our new cases of tuberculosis, we have a 97% recovery rate. In our MDR patients, we have 87% recovery rate. We, uh, we follow very carefully the DOTS program and make sure that every pill goes down the patient's throat, even though it kills them with side effects, sends some of them crazy, but most of them finish their medication. And uh, so it is a, a wonderful opportunity of building up relationships. And I believe in any of the 15 major tribes in, in Jordan, in the north where the hospital is, and down in the south where we have a very um, dedicated Dutch nurse practitioner seeing patients down there. And her greatest delight is to be out in the tents with the women that she's cared for. And, um, and so even though we don't see a lot of fruit, I wish I could tell you about churches being established. I can't. But I believe, I know that you have brothers and sisters in Christ among the Bedouin people who've heard because they had TV. I remember one lady was in the hospital and we knew she wasn't going to make it. And so I was with her as she was getting near to death. And she said, Raisa, I want to tell you something. I said, tell me. And she said, do you know... I thank God he gave me TB. I said, why? She was dying within hours. And she said, because if I hadn't had TB, I'd be on my way to hell. And she said, I'm sorry for you because I'll see Jesus before you will. (laughs) I'm still waiting at at age 85. But um, there are some wonderful opportunities to prove the Lord among, among Muslim people. Through medicine, as I said, we can't go out, we can't even hand out tracts in our hospital, but we, we can offer 
the New Testament. Of course, we have them all there, and if I'm seeing patients and they look at the pile of Gospels, and I say, would you like one? And I know some of them are torn up, and some of, but I believe that some of them are read, and, and the, the written word will be used by the Holy Spirit in the hearts of Muslim people. Muslim people are coming to, through, uh, to Christ, and I believe that one of the most effective ways that I know of of presenting the gospel to Muslim people is through medicine and nursing and all the other things that are involved in running a hospital. Ours is a small uh, sanatorium. We have no ICU. We have no maternity. We have no emergency, which is great because we, we have time to sit with our patients and nobody is going to say if they see one of the missionaries sitting um, talking to a patient, well, why don't they come in and help us? Because it's a slow pace. We have time to get to know our pl- um, patients and for them to get to know us. They know us so well that um, some of the ladies, when I dress a little bit differently than what I'm used to, they say, you going to our man today? That's the capital. They sort of check us out every day to see what, what's going on. And so it's... It's a privilege to represent you as your representative among Muslim people in the medical field. And our need is there. Muslim evangelism isn't exciting. Most of our patients and most of our Muslim staff reject the gospel. But we need people that are ready to rough it ready to be rejected because they're followers of Jesus, ready to put up with the um, inquiries from the secret police. We're under surveillance all the time, and um, yet they know what we do, and we're unashamedly preaching the gospel. About a year ago, I was called to Amman, the capital, to the national TV program, and I thought, that's okay because every now and then we are part of the national TV program. I thought, the president wants to talk business. And so I went there, unaware that when I got into the room, the, the undersecretary of the, I'm wrecking the podium here, uh, the undersecretary of the Ministry of Health was there, and the head of the secret police uh, from Mufrak, and somebody from the army, and somebody from the, the police, along with four veiled women. And um, I thought, this is different. This wasn't what I expected. And so they ranted at me for preaching, along with all the other missionaries that are in Mufrak. And they said, you know, you can't do this. So I said, Dr. Khaled, that's the head of the, NT, the National TB Program, I said, we've been doing this for 50 years, and we're not about to change. And then... He said, well, hear what these women have got to say. So one of these completely veiled women, and the Bedouin don't usually veil. I mean, they'll often put their scarf up to here. One of these completely veiled women started in, if, if we don't become Christian, they beat us. They don't give us medication. We don't get good food. And I recognized her voice. And I said, Asra, shame on you. And her head went down. <laughs> and... Uh, so the, I didn't recognize the other ladies, but that was enough. And 
Dr. Khaled, the head of the international TB program, he knows where we he knows we preach, and so he just said, "Well, you shouldn't be doing this." So I said, "Does anybody else have anything to say to me?" <laughs> and they said, "No." And I said, "Salam alaikum," and walked out the door. <laughs> I believe Jordan, um, because we have a, a strong king and we have a, a royal family that is, they're not, they're Muslim of course, but they, um, they have protected us from massive um, problems. When we get, when the secret police, police get too aggressive with us, um, we have a couple of friends high up in circles and say, hey, can you help us? Oh, yeah. And they pick up the phone and say, they don't say it like that, but in Arabic they'll go through all the greetings and virtually what they say is back off and leave them alone. And uh, so we, we, we believe that as long as, as God wants us there, we will be there um, able to preach the gospel, willing to preach the gospel, and enthusiastically enjoy new brothers and sisters in Christ who come to know him. A couple of years ago, a young man from Yemen came with um, multidrug-resistant TB, and he was one of the few of our patients who's educated. He had a degree in engineering, and he was so against the gospel. And um, so Nasri, our very gifted Jordanian evangelist, head, head, uh, head nurse, said, okay, let's go into Marcel's room and have the meeting in his room. And instead, we have special rooms where we meet. We, when the government comes, we say, that's our video room. We do have the video so they can watch the Jesus film and God is love and other things. It is our video room. But we pray that we... Now, when I say we pray, that means we have an evangelistic meeting. We've taken that term from Islam. And so when the... Um, Nasri would take the men in to pray, to pray in Marcel's room. He'd cover his head with his blanket and say the Quran out loud all through the meeting. He was with us for about eight or nine months. We don't know how it happened. We prayed for him a lot because he was sort of uh, obstructive in the meetings. And would, because he was educated, you'd tell the, uh, the less educated patients, don't listen to them. That's the word of the infidels, and that's not our religion. If you act like you're listening, I'll talk to the secret police. And the, the believers are afraid of the secret police because persecution is, is there, and it can be very severe. But God worked in his heart, and it wasn't, it was almost a year. He was in the hospital for more than a year until he converted to becoming um, negative, sputum negative. And his life was turned right round. One Sunday, um, he sneaked out of the hospital and went to the little local national church. Now, in Jordan, only Christian Christians, now that by that I mean believers who come from the Christian background, are allowed to go to churches. And so he sneaked in and went to the church because he wanted to worship like the Christians did. The secret police picked him up and... Uh, he was deported from the country. We, weren't able, we were able to finish his treatment. 
he, we tried to tell him, when you go home to Yemen, be careful. You know, don't go shouting in that you become a follower of Jesus. Let him see the change. But of course, the first night he got home, he told his wife that he'd become a follower of Jesus. She went screaming through the house that there was an infidel in the room. And uh, he was put in prison. He lost his job. And because he'd become an infidel, uh, they took his wife and two little boys away from him. But he had a rough time of persecution. But he stayed true. Today, he's finished two years of Bible school in Uganda and uh, is doing some further study. I'd love to see him back in the, in the Muslim world. But he's blacklisted in Jordan. But he, instead of being, uh, having his Muslim name, he's, he has now a Ugandan passport and he's, he's chosen Stephen Wesley as his name. And so, this is, we don't see, this is the first person we've seen who's become, um, there are many who are believers, but of the educated class who are now ready to become leaders in the Muslim world. So pray for him. His name now is Stephen. And so as you think of, you hear the news in Jordan, pray that Stephen will be allowed to come back into not necessarily Jordan, but North Africa is completely Muslim. Mauritania is Muslim. And, um, of course, all the Middle East is, is Muslim. And so that's what we'd love to see is to have God raise up leaders from among the believing Muslim people, followers of Jesus. Is it difficult? Yes. You know, as we go back to, I'm going back to, to Mufraq, that's where a hospital is. But every day we are, aware, we are aware that we're in a battle. Satan has been unchallenged since the 7th century among, in the Muslim world. And he's very reluctant to give up even one. And so every day we're aware that Satan's fighting us. And, you know, sometimes I get a little bit paranoid and I think, well, if they only knew I've spent two-thirds of my life here serving, serving their people. But um, we know that this isn't personal. It's something not against us personally, the opposition, the lies that are told about us. But it's against, you know, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he sent out the 72, he said, eat what you're given, which is sometimes hard. And I think my least favorite food is when they take the intestines of a sheep that aren't really cleaned, stuff them with rice and cook them, and they look what they are. And I have to say, God help me get this food down my neck, because you don't want to insult your, your host. And... Uh, then he said, tell them, and I believe in medical work. We have a wonderful opportunity with Muslims that I, I doubt in, I can only speak about the country of Jordan, there are some people working among Muslims, but they're so limited. We have them there for months on end. They get, we get to know them, and they get to know us, and it's a, it's a relationship of love. God has given us such a love for the Muslim people that come to us. Sometimes they drive me up the wall. I, and I shout at them. But uh, 
They know underneath, like a mother shouts at her kids, I'm not a mother, I've never had kids, but I'm sure every mother here has had times when you've wished your kids were somewhere else. (laughs) And uh, so it's um, to see people that didn't even know the name of Jesus coming to know him. But as I read on in that chapter when the Lord sent them out, he said, eat what you're given, heal the sick and tell them. And he said, Who receives you, receives me. Sometimes we get paranoid and think, oh, the haters, the haters. But again, this is, and he said, who rejects you, rejects me, and rejects him who sent me. And so it's not personal. And I hope that most of you will be involved in medical mission among Muslim people. As I said at the beginning, is it time to quit, Becky? She's going to tell me when it's time to stop. I do get wound up. <laughs> but um, in the Bible, in, in Luke it says, if they reject you, Jesus speaking, they reject me. And if they reject me, they reject who sent me. Not because they're anti-God, but because they're ignorant of the love that the Lord Jesus Christ showed when he, sent, uh, when he died on the cross. Not just for... Us people in the West, it's lovely to see others that, who are obviously not Western in this, this meeting. And uh, if anybody's got brown eyes and dark hair, you're welcome in the Arab world because you'd fit in so well where we blue-eyed, light-haired people have to earn the right. And we earn the right uh, to speak to our Muslim patients through medicine, through caring for them, for crying with them, with some of the... Uh, problems they have. Right now we have, I think, about half our patients, Herb. Half our inpatients, Herb has just come from Jordan, so he knows. Uh, our, our Syrian patients, some of them have had terrible situations in Syria. I was recently talking to one young lady in the hospital just before I left a couple of months ago, and she had... Uh, as we say, a nice case of TB, just one cavity. And I thought, she's going to get well fast. But um, instead of improving after the first couple of weeks, she was so depressed, so I called her into a room where I see patients. I said, Afaf, what's going on? Why are you crying all the, every day? And she said, I'll tell you. She said, my husband was taking their only daughter to buy bread in Dera which is um, just over the border in Syria. And she said, the, we, uh, I don't know who, what party it was that bombed them. She said, my husband and daughter, only daughter, got bombed and killed as they were waiting for bread. And she said, somebody came and told me. She was at home with her three sons. Old, uh, and uh, she said, somebody came and said, your husband's been hurt. In the Arab world, you don't like to give bad news, so you build up to it. Your husband's hurt. She said, I rushed down to the baker house, and she said, my husband and daughter were both dead. She said, I got back to my house, and and Assad had dropped a barrel bomb, and my three sons were dead. She'd lost everything. Her husband and her her whole family of four children. I thought, what am I going to say to her? 
I've never been in a situation like this. I hugged her and we cried together. And, and I said, you know, Afaf, that was her name. I said, Afaf, I can't comfort you. I said, but I know somebody who can. And she said, Jesus? I said, yes, Jesus. And she said, how can I get his comfort? So I was able to sit with her and tell her about the comfort that the Lord Jesus Christ offers. I said, you know, God sent not only his son, but the other person of God, the other part of God was God the Spirit, whose name is the Comforter. And so she prayed right there. She said, I don't know how to pray, Raisa. I said, just talk to God. And so she prayed to the Comforter, because that's what she related to. And, you know, as we watched that girl, young woman, you know, maybe they never know how old they are, maybe 30 years old, watched her change, she was still heartbroken. She had lost everything, which is a family. I mean, house can be repaired. But she said uh, she kept praying to God, the comforter. She said, I need you. I need your help. And I thought, maybe I haven't given her quite the gospel. So I finished up by telling her that she needed to have her sins forgiven. She says, whatever I I need to do, tell me, and I'll do it. And so we sat there together and prayed together for her salvation. When she did the praying, I did the prompting. So that she, because they'll say, I don't know how to pray. They just have memorized prayers. But this, this young woman, she left the hospital back to the camp, which is very near, the refugee camp. And I've, I've seen her twice since then. And she, the last time she came and she said, this is my sister. Tell her everything you told me. She said, because I get mixed up. I know she's a follower of Jesus, but a simple, ignorant lady. And she said, tell her everything you told me. I don't know if her sister became a follower of Jesus, but you can see how that... Medicine is important. We do do strive for excellence. Most times we don't get it because we have uh, Jordanian staff who are uh, in the hospital who are mainly Muslim. And so some of them turn out to be very good nurses and some of them not so good. But, uh, but it's to see this girl, this young woman, changed and interested in bringing her sister to hear the truth. As I said, I can't tell you about churches being established, but it's my desire, I probably, I know I won't live long enough to see it, is to have little groups of Muslim believers. It'll be secretly meeting, and I don't blame them for that. And just reminding each other of what they knew about the Lord Jesus Christ, or what, how they became a follower of Jesus. And so, because then they can encourage each other. And recently I was out in our clinic. We've got another very small primitive clinic out by the Iraqi border. And this young man came in and I gave him his medication. And he said, I thank the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought, okay. (laughs) Um, Where'd that come from? And I said, well, tell me, what do you know? Because it's a completely Muslim area where we have the clinic. He said, you know, my, my father-in-law slept in your hospital 40 years ago. 
And he told me about salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I thought, here's the beginning of a cell. Two men, an older man, he must be 70 by now, and his middle-aged son-in-law, sharing the knowledge that they have of the Lord Jesus Christ. Medical missions, it's so worthwhile among Muslim people because you can't go any other way, as far as I can see. In schools, they are obliged to bring in a sheikh and teach Islam. In our hospital, we will never bring in a sheikh unless he comes in as a patient and able to tell him about the gospel. But um, we are, our missionary uh, family is completely committed, uh, not just as followers of Jesus, but people who are called to the Muslim world to medical mission. We have um, eight nationalities represented in our missionary family, and that needs some prayer as we all bring our baggage with us. And so, um, but it's a good team that God has sent to us to work, to give excellent medical care, but to use our medical care to preach the gospel to Muslim people in the, in the deserts of Jordan. I think right now we have even one patient came from Uganda. He was working in Jordan and got TB, and so he's with us. And from all, although currently, because our borders are all closed, we don't have a lot of patients from neighboring countries. We used to have um, from Saudi, Iraq, Syria, Palestine, Egypt, and um, one patient from Chad. But because our borders are closed now, we're just limited to Jordanians and Syrians from the refugee camp. As we go back, pray for us that we will truly represent you as your representatives among people who have been deprived of the gospel. Muslims are not too hard to reach. It's rough. We need people with lots of guts who get and stay, who learn the Arabic language and it will kill you as you study it. They say it's the most difficult language, um, Arabic and Jap- Japanese, they say are the most, two most difficult languages in the world, I believe it. Um, I'm still learning it after 60 years in the Middle East. So do pray for us. Becky's given me the sign. Let's <laughs> just stop. So in the next five minutes, if anybody has a question, I'd be glad to answer it. Otherwise, Allah <laughs> That means God with you. Yes. Followers of Jesus. Oh, the question was, we don't use the term Christian. We say followers of Jesus. It's Baha'u'llah Messiah. Thank you.